Um, have you ever had the local preacher stand up with the visiting preacher there and say, I'm looking forward to the last night of this meeting? I mean, really? You know, you can take that two different ways, you know. But anyway, I'll take it in a positive way. Um, and, you know, I'm aware they're going to fire me. It really doesn't matter. You know. But the point being, and then we sang that song, you know, surely goodness and mercy if you follow me all the days of my life. Of course, that's a reference, obviously, all of that is to the shepherd psalm, the 23rd psalm. And one day there's a little boy named Johnny. He was just a kid, first grade. Didn't live but about three or four blocks from the school building. And he finally, he told his mama, he said, Mama, he said, I'm a big boy. I want to walk to school by myself. You don't have to take me. Well, that worried mom. So she said, well, let's, let's talk about it and we'll see if we can't figure it out. So about a week later, she told him, she said, okay, Johnny, tomorrow I'm going to let you walk to school. He had a little friend with him from down the street and uh, said, I'm going to let you walk to school. But in the meantime, Mama went to one of her neighbors, Miss Shirley Goodnest was her name, and she said, Shirley, if you don't mind, you know, little Johnny's going to walk to school. She said, I can't follow him because it'll hurt him. Do you mind if you kind of keep an eye on him? She said, oh, no, me and my daughter Marcy, we go on walks every morning. That'll be fine. We'll just kind of hang back and make sure he gets to school. So three or four days of walking to school, and this little friend of Johnny said, Johnny, he said, have you noticed that woman and that little girl been following us every day? And Johnny said, oh, yeah, yeah, I have. He said, well, what's the deal? He said, oh, that's Shirley Goodnest and her daughter Marcy. He said, see, when I told my mama I wanted to start walking to school, that concerned her, and so she said, let's read the 23rd Psalm about walking through the valley of the shadow and sun and God being with us. So we, we read the 23rd Psalm every night for about a week before I went, and he said, it says, surely goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. I reckon I've got to get used to it. <laughs> but anyway, <clears throat> yeah, that's a better, usually those puns kind of get a, oh. But anyway, told you last night we'd talk about tonight life good to the last drop. Now you don't have to answer, but if I asked you what company has good to the last drop as their slogan, you would know exactly who I'm talking about. It's a coffee company, and it's named after a motel, or actually a hotel, from over 100 years ago in Nashville, Tennessee. The Maxwell House. And the legend is, or the truth is, Theodore Roosevelt did, in fact, in 1907, visit Nashville to take a tour of the Hermitage, Andrew Jackson's home. And the legend is that while he was there, he went and had a meal, had breakfast at this Maxwell House restaurant, and drank their coffee. Now, their coffee was special made, and, but he drank it, and the, again, the popular legend is that he said, whew, this coffee is good to the last drop, and that's where their slogan came from. Now, in fact, in the 1920s, Maxwell House, they, they put that story out there, that that's how they got the slogan, that's how where it came from and all that, but most historians now have figured out that even though Roosevelt was there, he most likely did not say that. Don't know if he made any comment about the coffee, but they used that as their slogan, and still is, to my knowledge. Good to the last drop. Well, that's what should be able to be said about the life of a child of God Amen. when this life is over. That it was good all the way 
to the last drop. See, some folks hang up their spurs in the middle of the rodeo. Some go out sitting in the saddle. It just depends on how I decide to do it. Am I going to go out upright or am I going to go out just sitting on the sidelines? Some folks shrivel up on the vine and others save the best and sweetest fruit for that final picking in life. We as Christians should make the most of our days. All of them. Psalm chapter 90 verse 12. Now this, there's 150 psalms and in fact I have always heard, thought and I was fairly certain I was correct that David wrote 75 of them but then just this morning I was reading something about David that said he wrote 73 of them. So y'all might want to check that out. But anyway, the point is that this psalm was not written by David or Korah or any of those folks. It was written by Moses many, many hundreds of years before and the compiler of the psalms decided to put it in here. And of course it was inspired by God or it wouldn't have been in there. But anyway, in Psalm chapter 90 verse 12, Moses wrote, Teach us, talking to the Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We need to take advantage of every day that we have. And you know, I understand the, I don't know what the right word is, what happens to you as you grow old, I guess. You know, and it's hitting me more and more the older, in fact, this summer has just been ridiculous. Three, maybe four months ago, three months ago probably, I didn't have a doctor. I had had a doctor, Dr. Steve Chandler, one of the elders over Beltline, and he retired about four or five years ago, and I just never had found another doctor. Didn't need one, nothing's wrong with me. You know, I kind of missed that annual checkup, which a guy my age ought to have, I'm sure, but anyway, I didn't have a doctor. That was like three months ago. A month after that, I had five. I had one, I, made a, I finally got me an appointment with just a regular, you know, general practitioner, internist, and went and had my physical. Well, the PSA number's too high, so you got to go to the urologist. Uh, you got something there, you got to go have a colonoscopy. Uh, you know, and then my shoulder was killing me, and I went to the orthopedic clinic, and I got one doctor that works on my shoulder, and my knee was about to fall off my leg. Went back, had another doctor at the orthopedic clinic, and, you know, it was like, yeah, I mean, all of a sudden, I go from what I thought was relatively healthy to just falling apart completely. So I understand what happens when you get older. However, in reality, age is just a number. A lot of times we think, I'm too old to try something new. No, not really. You know how old George Burns was when he won his first Oscar? He was 80, and he had played God to get it. But he was 80 years old. That's how old he was. Golda Meir became Israel's prime minister when she was 71. George Bernard Shaw broke his leg falling out of a tree in his yard that he was pruning when he was 96 years old. The man that climbed up in the tree, pruning a tree, cutting a limb off, fell and broke his leg at 96. Grandma Moses, she didn't even start painting until she was 80 years old. And by the time she died, she had completed 1,500 paintings. 25% of those she painted after she turned 100 years old. Michelangelo, the Sistine Chapel, he was 71 when he did that. Albert Schweitzer was performing surgeries in his African hospital when he was 89 years old. 
Doc Councilman, never heard of him before, but I found this on there. He was 58 years old when he became the oldest person to ever swim the English Channel. That's pretty good for a 58-year-old guy. And S.I. Hayakawa, he retired as president of San Francisco State University when he was 70. And then after that, he was elected to the United States Senate. They also had a reputation, as I recall, of falling asleep during, in the Senate proceedings. But still, he was a, I believe he was elected from Hawaii, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, point is, you know, there are a lot of things that people have done after they got older. And I, I didn't look this one up, and I just now thought of it, but if I'm not mistaken, one maybe we're more familiar with, the, the good old colonel that chases the chickens, Colonel Sanders, Harlan Sanders, didn't open his first, he, he started traveling around with his special cooker and trying to sell his chicken when he was 66. And that ended up starting, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken. So things can still happen. Casey Stingle, if you're a baseball fan, you know who Casey Stingle was. He didn't retire from managing the New York Mets until he was 75 years old. That's pretty old for a manager of a baseball team. And then we can go to scripture. There are excellent examples of this in Scripture. Now, I realize back in the day they lived longer, you know, early on, but Noah didn't build the ark until he was 600 years old, pretty much. I mean, that's, that's an old, that's a pretty good job, you know, for a 600-year-old man. You know, no, I want you to build this boat one and a half times the length of a football field, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall. I mean, that's a, that's a big old boat. You know, and I don't know if he hired a crew. I don't know how he did it, but he only had his three sons that ended up getting in there with him and their wives and his wife. So, and then on top of that, collect you know, two of every animal. Now, I have no doubt God helped him with that. But the truth is, can you imagine what Noah went through? And I may have said Moses because I put Moses in the ark all the time. I hope not. But anyway, you know, you imagine what Noah went through building that ark? I mean, you know, you have his neighbors, like, hey, you want to get this thing out of my driveway? I mean, it must have been tough, you know, for Noah to build that ark. But he did. 600 years old. Abraham was 100 years old when he changed Isaac's first diaper. Now, I don't know that he changed diapers, and I don't know what they did exactly back then, but Genesis 21 verse 5 says he's 100 years old when he was born. I mean, you know, that's, that's pretty old. Moses, as you're well aware, was 80 years old when God called him to lead his people. And it's interesting, in the land of Midian, when Moses saw, you know, that uh, on the Mount of God, that, that, that bush that was on fire but didn't, did, wasn't consumed, and went up there to check it out, and, you know, it says the angel of the Lord appeared in the bush, and then it says God spoke to him, which is a whole different sermon and thought, but the angel of the Lord, if you look up in the Old Testament, not just an angel, but when it's the angel, usually angel capitalized, angel of Jehovah, if you've got American Standard, or angel of the Lord, that my contention is that that is the pre-incarnate Christ speaking. You go do, do some study on that, see what you think. doesn't matter one way or the other, but to me that's kind of interesting. Point is, Exodus chapter 4, when that happened, Moses made all kinds of excuses why he didn't really need to be the one to lead God's people. But you know what? I'm too old wasn't one of them. That isn't something he even thought about. What he said in Exodus 4.10, Oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. You know, and so God told him, you recall, well, you got, you got Aaron, your brother. He's three years older than you. He's a good speaker. He'll be your prophet. He'll, he'll be what you are for me. You're going to speak what I tell you. He will speak what you tell him. Well, you don't see Aaron speaking up for Moses hardly ever, do you? He managed to, to, get, up, to get along 
quite well in that department, but you know, we all look for excuses sometimes when we're scared to do things. But his fact that he was 80 years old wasn't one of them. And then you can go to Joshua chapter 14. Let me read beginning at verse 6. And the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. You recall Joshua and Caleb, the only two that said, We need to go, we can take the land. And everybody can tell you Joshua and Caleb are. Can anybody tell me even one of the other ten? No. Why? Because we don't remember people that don't speak up for God. We remember the two that stood up for God. So Moses swore, Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, Caleb says, Behold, the Lord has kept me alive as he said these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I am this day, 85 years old. And yet I'm as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was now, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore... Give me this land, this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim, that's the giants, were there. And that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. Here's Caleb. He's 85 years old. He said, Joshua, send me to the mountain. I will run out the giants. I'll take care of it. God and I can whip anything. And... He did. Anna, you remember in the New Testament, Anna was a widow who was 84 years old and she still served God with fastings and prayers. Luke chapter 2, verses 36 and 37. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayer night and day. You know, we tend to think, well, you know, I'm, I'm getting older. I'm retired now. Let the young people take over. I understand there are things that I can't do physically, maybe even mentally, that I could do when I was younger. But God's retirement plan is when this life is over. See, Paul, he was still active. Even though in Philippians 1.9, he called himself Paul the aged. I don't know how old he was, but he was older than most folks apparently that he worked with and for. And yet in 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, when he was about to be put to death in Rome, he was under house, well, he was under house arrest at the end of the book of Acts when he wrote the four prison epistles, you know, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and, I'm sorry, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, when he wrote those four prison epistles, he was under house arrest in Rome. Apparently he was released, and then a couple of years later was arrested again, and went back, and this time when he wrote to Timothy, the second letter to Timothy, it was a whole different situation. You can tell by what he says, the circumstances are different. Before he was able to entertain guests, he could have visitors now. Apparently he's in a dungeon, he wants his cloak. Apparently wherever he is, it's cold. And, and you know, he wanted Timothy to hurry up. One thing, to get there before winter, because in wintertime, 
the Mediterranean had a lot more storms, and he knew he'd have to sail. And so, anyway, but he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, or as the King James says, I'm ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I've fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Therefore, there's later for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me in that day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love is appearing. The point being, Paul never quit until he had to. You know, he didn't quit, even though he recognized himself when he wrote to the brethren at Philippi as the aged, he was still going at it. In fact, he even told them in Philippi, you know, for me to live is Christ, for me to die is gain. He says, I'm torn between the two. I really want to go on home to my eternal reward, but I really need to stay here because it's better for you, for me to continue to help, to help grow and mature the congregations of the Lord's people. He never quit. He didn't just say, hey, I'm old enough to retire. I think I'll just take it easy and I'll just sit on a pew for a while and let somebody else take over. No. No, he didn't do that. As long as he had breath, he was going to be serving God. And on top of that, he wrote to the aged men and women and gave them work to do. When he put his letter together with the inspiration of God to his other young preacher friend, Titus, chapter 2, beginning at verse 2, that the older men be sober reverent, temperate, sound in faith, and love and patience. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. The point is, when I've lived a while, you know, ideally, I know a lot more about life now in my 60s than I did in my 20s and 30s. And I know it's, it's interesting. I can think back. And I, I started preaching full-time when I was about 29, I believe it was. Yeah, that's right, because I've been doing it 35. Yeah, 29. Anyway, I was, and my sermons when I was 29 and 30 were not exactly the same as they are now. And the reason is, and you may recall when you were that age, I knew everything. I could tell girls exactly how long their dress ought to be. I could tell a guy why he shouldn't wear this or shouldn't wear it. I could tell you why everything you did, anything that was questionable, man, I could tell you it's either right or wrong. I knew. I had the answers. And then, thankfully, I grew up. And I realized that everything, I still believe with all my heart, that in God's sight, everything is black and white. There are no gray areas with God, but I'm not God. And so my job is to live in as safe a zone as I can. And in those areas that may look to be gray to us, I need to realize that somewhere in there, God's got a line. And so in order to not cross and get on the wrong side, I'm just going to try to stay as far to the right side as I can. It's like the fellows that the, the county school system at one point in some place was looking for bus drivers. They needed to hire a new bus driver. So they took these three guys that applied for the job, took them up on a mountain road, and said, okay, we want to see how close you get to the edge of the road without running off the road. Well, the first one, man, he went around this curve, and he got like within three feet of that drop-off. He is so proud of himself. And the second one, man, he got within a foot of the edge of the road, and he said, I got the job. The third guy hugged the inside of the road as much as he could, as far away from that drop-off as he could get. He got the job. 
They didn't say, we want to see how close you can get. They said, we want to see how close you get. The point is, we need to live our lives hugging the inside every time that we have that opportunity. But, you know, I grew up and learned that there are some areas where, you know, thankfully, I'm not the judge. And, you know, I don't need to get my ruler out and everything, start measuring everything and tell a guy's hair is a little bit too long or her dress is a little bit too short or that top's a little... That's not my job. You know, now we teach modesty and we and all, but man, when I was, whew, when I was, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a whole different ballgame. I don't have any of my sermons recorded from back then, but uh, I remember I was a nice guy. I would just write all the time. I mean, I'm still right all the time, but at least I do understand that I have the potential to be wrong. In fact, the last mistake I made was when I thought I was wrong when really I was right. But that's, that's you know, that's just another story, and my wife's not here, and don't ask her. Because she'll tell you a totally different account of my life. And she, I'm sure, is more accurate than I am. But the point is, Paul, as an old man, many characters in Scripture, as they got older, they kept serving God. Paul continued to serve God till he died. He gave things for older people to do. You notice what he said to the older men and the older women. Be examples and don't just sit there. Don't just assume that younger people are going to absorb lessons just because they're in church building. Teach them. Teach the younger men how to do things. Teach the younger women how to do things. Because I should, as I get older, understand those things. It's not that I know just know more about Scripture. I should. But I know more about life. And, you know, we talked about this yesterday or the day before. You know, Ephesians 5.15, walk circumspectly. As I get older, I can understand more about what's going on around me and hopefully can make more wiser, wiser decisions. And I know, you know, things change. The body starts falling apart and I cannot do the things I used to do physically. And sometimes, you know, I can't do the things mentally that I once could do. And God understands that better than any of us. But what we don't want to do, and God also understands this, is me using my age as an excuse Amen. to not serve God. Because you don't see that in Scripture. What you see in Scripture, these great saints of old, they lived their life right to the end. I mean, their life was literally good to the last drop. One of the challenges facing the church and, and I, when I did this just, I did this fact just a couple of weeks ago at Grant Street and especially at Grant Street because where I am we have a significant number of older members there is unbelievable experience and Bible knowledge in the pews at Grant Street and I don't doubt that it's that same way with the gray heads here the problem is not that they're sitting in the pew with the knowledge. The problem is trying to get that knowledge out in a way that benefits the Lord's work at, the, at that congregation and ultimately worldwide. You know, one of the greatest challenges facing the church is harnessing the talents and energies of her senior members. And so many, you know, we're living longer now. As a general rule, we're healthier into our later years now. You see people out there doing stuff. I mean, we've got, uh, you know, Kurt, Coach Morris, Earl Morris, who 
the Alabama Hall of Fame. He coached the Decatur. He coached several different schools in basketball. Did an amazing job. I mean, he's he's in his 80s now. He still goes at least once a year out to Colorado with a group of buddies, and they go down the mountain. They ski down the mountain. You know, I mean, the guy's 80 years old, 81, 82, something like. He doesn't look it. He looks like he's about 60, and he's in better shape than I am. I guarantee you. But the point is, we're living longer and we're living healthier, and we need to take advantage of that. And regardless, I can always do something. You know, for instance, there's a man took his mom to the doctor. She's 90 years old. You know, and so he takes his mom to get checked out by the doctor. Well, the doctor comes back in. And he just kind of ignores 90-year-old mom and is talking to the son. Because you know how people are. When you get old, they just act like you're not there. They figure, they assume, you can't understand what I'm saying anyway, so let me talk to somebody that knows what I'm talking about. So she kind of was offended. She said, Doctor, let me ask you something. He said, Yes, ma'am. She said, Do you do crossword puzzles? He said, Yes, ma'am, I sure do. She said, Do you do them with a pen or a pencil? He said, well, I do them with a pencil, of course. She said, I do mine with a pen. You can talk to me. You know, I mean, and that, you know, I do Sudoku puzzles with a pen. I can't stand writing with a pencil. But the point is, you know, we don't need to ignore our older members. There's a lot of talent in the pews. And as an older member, I don't need to sell myself short. I'm not saying we can do what we always did. But there is always something we can do. You know, the over 65 crowd in many congregations is the greatest potential workforce that we've got. And part of that is because at that age, we've had time to develop faith and humility, hopefully. Most folks, not everybody, but most folks when they get 65 and 70 have outgrown the need to be noticed and recognized for every little thing they do. Not everybody, but most folks have outgrown that, you know, and have the wisdom when I get older, because I have to, I've got to figure this out. Generally, we gain wisdom on how to get something done without wasting time or effort, because I don't have the energy I once had to waste it, so I've figured out how to streamline and get the same thing done with less effort, less energy. The church needs that. The church definitely needs those kind of folks, you know, and... Again, not everybody, but hopefully, as I've gotten older, I've learned how to get along with people a little better than maybe I did when I was a youngster. You know? Now, everybody had Some people get old and crotchety. The child of God should get old and open and warmer and softer. And those wrinkles are just fine. You know, that just means it's just that much softer. You know, I had nothing wrong with that. And I, I just, I need to be open to people. And the thing is, when I get to that age, most of us have retired from the demands of, daily, of a daily job. Now, I know I talk to people that are retired all the time. I'm busier now than I've ever been. Yeah, but that's stuff you want to do. Not necessarily somebody telling you you have to do. You know, when I retire, I don't necessarily have to have an alarm clock. I'll need one every now and then, but not every day. I don't have to get in my car and commute to a job somewhere. Those days are done. That time can be put towards something else. Yes, I may not have that much energy, but I don't have to do that 40 plus hours every week that I used to do. You know, for me, personally, 
You know, I'm such a great financial planner. I figure that the way that I will survive without eating cat food is that I will just preach my own funeral and then step in the hole because I don't know how else to do it. But, you know, most people can retire. You have a pension. You work for a company that actually gives you something when you go away for your 20 or 30 or 40 years. You know, preachers, well, we don't have that, but that's another story. But the point is, I'm retired. You slice it and dice it any way you want. There's more time for discretionary activities. There's no hectic rush to get to work. No imposed regimen of activity. I'm free to do what I want to do when I want, for the most part. I know not every day. And generally, not always, but generally, when I reach that retirement age, my children are grown. They no longer demand the majority of my time or money. And so I'm free from a lot of that. I realize the money part still hangs around for some folks, but for the most part, you know, I'm free from a lot of things that, have, that I've had God-given responsibility to do for years. Now I don't. And I'm open and free to do more for the cause of Christ. You know, in fact, if we think about it and we plan it right, and we get our mind wrapped around it the right way, I can do more for the cause of Christ in my latter years than I could ever do in my early years when I had all those other responsibilities that God says I need to fulfill. I'm not, I'm, you know, Children are my first responsibility. A man that won't provide for his own is worse than an infidel. I understand all that. But when I retire and my kids are grown, all that's done. Now, i got grandkids, and I want to spend time with them, and that's fantastic. You know, that's fantastic. But I've got more time. And if I just look for things to do. You know, too many times in the Lord's church, and I realize I'm not quoting a lot of Scripture tonight, just some common sense, practical stuff, but so many times in the Lord's church, you know, people don't want to do anything until they get permission from the elders or something. If you come up with a good thing, and you see a need, do it. And then come and tell the elders, and, and again, like I said, when they get up off the floor from finding out somebody took some initiative and did something without them begging them, they'll say thank you. You know? That's what we need to do. We need to just, as we get older, we're smart enough to know what needs to be done. We've got the experience of life to know what needs to be done out there. You know? Do it. You know what God expects. I know what's right and wrong. I know how far I go and how where I shouldn't line I shouldn't cross. Do it. And then let the church know, hey, guess what I did? And you know, here's what happened. Not to brag, but to encourage your brothers and sisters. And you know, it's amazing. When if you've ever if you've ever noticed if, if a house is burning down as a rule, what happens? Well the fire department comes, but what happens? People come by and look, don't they? People stop and watch. Or, you know, something that's on fire, that's just interesting. I don't know, we're not pyromaniacs, I don't think, but there's something about that that's just, it's, it's people want to be there. Well, when, you, when the church gets on fire for God, because people like me and you are out there doing things, people are going to want to come and see why we're burning. And when they do, some of them are going to get close enough, they get caught up in the flames. And next thing you know, we've got new members. Because we decided... Just because I'm old, I'm not quitting. And people will appreciate that. They'll want to know how you do it. They want to know why you do it. 
And you can tell them because you love God and you love His church. And man, you ought to come with me. And you might learn to love it too. And it's amazing what we could accomplish in our latter years. You know, Jacob used every drop of life. And he died worshiping God and blessing other folks. In Hebrews 11.21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. You know, as I get older, I should be more fruitful. I should continue to bear fruit. But the reality is, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that all the way up until my physical life is over. Sometimes things happen like with my mom. Through dementia, whatever it was, they, didn't, they never diagnosed it as Alzheimer's, but she had several mini strokes. And I don't, but anyway, she ultimately got to where there were so many things she knew how to do. Man, her kitchen was legendary, and she forgot how to cook. She was a seamstress that could make clothes for anybody. She, got, she couldn't even hem a pair of pants anymore. You know, then she forgot who I was and who my brothers was and who my sisters were. And finally, I think she forgot who my dad was. And mercifully, she passed away in her sleep a couple of weeks ago today. And that was the best thing for her that could have happened. But you see, she was not able to live her life all the way until the last breath because the last six or seven years, she hasn't been mentally capable. I don't know if that's going to happen to me. You don't know if it's going to happen to you. So what I need to do is live every day. Teach me to number my days. And when I do that, recognizing that everyone could be my last, then Moses says, you'll gain a heart of wisdom. I want to know how to best live my life. Count every day. And thank God for all of them. And try to make them. I'm not saying there's never a day we don't need to just goof off and do absolutely nothing. Because God even, Jesus even told his disciples, Mark 6, 31, come apart by yourselves and rest for a while. Recreation is critical. It's important. But the reason that I recreate is that I can gain more energy and strength to serve God. And as long as I'm doing that, God's happy. I'm happy. The church has the best opportunity to grow. And everybody will get along with one another because we're too busy serving the same God to fuss at one another and complain about the little things that don't make any difference. And that's true in a big congregation and a little one. Every congregation has its sore heads and every congregation has its happy hearts. Amen. And let's all decide to be on the happy side. And I'm happy, and you know this as well as I do, I'm happiest when I'm busy doing something productive. And the most productive thing I can do with my life, young or old, is serve God. Because it has the greatest reward when this life is over. Going back to Psalms, this time the 92nd Psalm, I want to read three verses beginning at verse 12. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. 
They shall be fresh and flourishing. Am I? Am I one of the old ones? Am I still bearing fruit? Here's what matters. No matter how many birthdays lie behind us, all that matters, all that counts, is what's in front of me. That's all that matters. And what's in front of me is today. Because that's all I've got. When tomorrow gets here, it'll be today. Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow I never get. Every day I wake up, it's today. I've never lived one day out of 64 plus. I've never lived one day in yesterday or tomorrow. Every day I've lived for 64 years has been today. So what matters is today. And then if God gives me another today, that's what matters. How many todays are back here? I don't care. It's the one that I'm living that matters. Because God can give me a fresh start every single day and any day that as a child I need it by repentance and prayer. Perhaps somebody here tonight could do that. Might need to do that. Maybe just recommit. It It, it doesn't even require a, a public acknowledgement. You don't have to come down front necessarily. Just commit. If I'm in that age group, that older age, just commit, God, I'm going to try to do better. I'm going to try to find things that I can still do that because of my age, in fact, I probably am more equipped to do them than younger people. And if I'm younger, make up your mind that I'm going to do what I can today and I'm going to keep that attitude till the day I die. And we'll all be happy and we'll all see each other again when this life is over in the streets of gold through the gate of pearl around the throne room of God. And that's what it's all about. Could be that someone needs to be baptized into Christ tonight. I don't know. I think everybody here probably is a member of the Lord's church. But if there's a need at all for a public response, just come down front while we stand and sing.